Good morning. Good to see you all here. If you are here for the first time, welcome. If you're here for the second time, welcome. If you've been here for a while, anyway, no, you're welcome. Good to see you guys here. You know, we're continuing our conversation entitled, What If? And two weeks ago, we started and we started with, what if everyone was connected? And talked about how we can do more together than we can do by ourselves and the importance of community and recognizing that we are in this work together. Last week we talked about what if everyone prayed and we looked at four different aspects of prayer. We we took Jesus's model, Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing and we asked the question, what if everyone was able to unleash the burden of bitterness that is there because of unforgiveness. If we were to be free from that, how would it transform our lives? We, we talked about the importance of praying for those who aren't of faith, that God would show up in their lives, make himself known so that they too can see that there is a God in heaven who hears and who answers. And we talked about praying for boldness. The disciples, when they were beaten, they didn't say, God, get them for beating us. They didn't say, God, take me to Hawaii. Get me out of here. I don't think they knew about Hawaii, but they wouldn't have prayed that anyway. Instead, they said, God, give us boldness. And the place was shaken and they were filled with the Spirit. And we talked about how the miraculous follows the courageous. That many times we want God to affirm with astounding things, but the reason God doesn't do astounding things is because we're unwilling to live astounding lives that he can affirm. And then we talked about God making yourself known to us. The importance of having that revelation of who God is come into our hearts and our minds And this morning, we're going to continue the conversation, and it's going to be, what if everyone mattered? And as I was thinking of this topic, actually, I was going to do this topic last week, but TJ couldn't be here last week, so I switched it and made prayer last week so that I could have, what if everyone mattered? And the reason I wanted to do this is because when we started Grassroots and the Spoken Word One of the things I noticed that was a common theme throughout the people who were talking was giving a voice to those things or those people that don't have one. Giving importance to the things that matter that get discarded or or overlooked. And I thought this was a great opportunity to have someone come and share about things that do matter in a way that I think is powerful and that touches us. Now, if you weren't there last month, TJ shared and you missed an incredible time. You missed an incredible time this last Friday also. And if you don't come next month, you're going to miss another incredible time. Just saying it's incredible, okay? And so I encourage you to come to the grassroots and partake just together in the dynamics that's happening. TJ does have some booklets available in the back. I, I, she's going to share a couple of her uh, works here at the beginning and then one at the end. And afterwards, I want you to 
introduce yourself to her, I want you to buy the booklets from her, I want you to love on her and just let her know how you were touched by the things that she said. So let's please welcome right now TJ as she comes up and shares with us. intro Sam all right Um, thank you for having me I always wanted to be a Girl Scout but those ugly brown jumpers and badges was a uniform that couldn't transform me from chunky socially awkward bookworm to captain of the cheerleading team so used to being a social outcast I thought the wilderness was the best place to find myself So I make crowns of daisies at recess to get used to the idea of being somebody's queen, but my petals wilted from using my body irresponsibly, see, girls like me. We sell our cookies to princes at discount prices and earn brownie points for forgiveness and not making a scene. We learn to tell time by the stars just to become a gorgeous mudslide at men's feet. See, I joined the ranks of millions, but my first time wasn't a campfire retreat. My initiation into womanhood was being pinned to an oak tree and force-fed my first kiss. And every life lesson and heartbreak after this was a brightly colored tattered badge that I stitched into my skin. See, I earned them all. The My Best Self badge, proving flaws are God's way of saying handle with care. The social butterfly badge, to be fly, even caterpillars have to accept that someday change is inevitable. The true seeker badge, for asking my cheating boyfriends questions I already knew the answers to. The on my own badge, proving single just means not sharing your dessert with a man. See, I earned them all. The on my own badge, the truth badge, the dream chaser badge, the good credit badge, stripes in a battle for a kingdom that no woman truly ever rules. See, I got used to the wounds, became an expert in first aid. I stitched triumph and defeat into my spine so I would never forget that even fallen soldiers still stand for something. And today I stand as a woman who will not let love do do with my heart to leave me to crumble like a box of discarded thin mints, to let a careless man-child turn my cookies into abandoned anthills, hiked-up skirts and tattered threads only follow the trail of boys who climbed my mountain but weren't man enough to capture my flag. See, I gave them all I had, and now I realize that I don't need happy homemaker qualities to run a household. And I'm not a little girl trained to chase clubs in high societies, but I realize that all women have a little Girl Scout in our genes. We achieve dreams and give our cookies to who God has deemed worthy. We document our journey and the lives of our children, and we brave uncharted territory every time we decide to forgive and love again in our skin. It's the jumper that God gave us to show off the burns from being pushed too close to campfires, to display the wilted petal memories that we remix into our own potpourri. And I've seen enough history channels to know that without queens, kingdoms crumble. And I'd rather rock a crown of thorns like my creator than be crucified for not being majestic enough to climb. To wait for a man to give me his last name like it's the only badge I need so when I die. Lay an invisible quilt of badges over my coffin like a martyred matriarch in the war for my identity. So the angels will know I died not wanting to be a Girl Scout, not wanting to be a queen, not wanting to be anything more or less than me. Finally, a woman of God. Thank you. So are you guys listening? Yes? Okay. 
So I can see already that some of you haven't been to grassroots because there's a rule that goes with spoken word poetry where you can say things to me and it won't mess me up. Okay, so if you enjoy something, if something speaks to you, if you just feel the spirit kind of take over, it is totally okay to respond. Okay, so if you get woo, mm, amen, say that, all that works for me. Okay, so I just wanted everybody's like really intense and staring, so I just wanted to let you know it's all love, it's all love, everyone. So with that, this next poem with the theme of if everyone mattered. Uh, I wrote this poem a while back, and it was kind of my way of breaking out of the box of poetry, but also breaking out of the box of life. And as we become older, I think the world likes to put restrictions and rules on us. But if we live our lives freely and embrace all of the creativity that we have within us, we can be brave enough to do some really silly things. Um, how many of you guys miss uh, school lunch cafeterias? Nobody? How many of you guys miss allowance? Yes? Okay, so how many of you guys miss being a child and having the freedom to do the things that you used to do, right? So this poem is for all of my children at heart. It's called I Dare You. So please, feel free to join in. Truth or dare? Dare. I dare you to step outside your comfort zone for an hour and sing somewhere that's not your car or your shower. I dare you to imagine you had the power to start a new trend, stop strangers on the street and pretend it's your old friends, hug them and slap them and say, hey, where have you been? I dare you to send a thank you letter to your ex for teaching you the difference between sex and love. And before you do any of the above, walk into a nightclub and moonwalk on the spot. I dare you to walk into a concert squares, catch up on your shirt and pretend you got shot. Stop. <laughs> Maybe not. You know, maybe you all should let your hair grow. And when everyone asks, tell them that you're letting your soul glow. Don't take it personal. Just stop putting your dreams on a shelf like humans don't have expiration dates. Because life is far too short to wait, so I dare you to create art every time you speak and call it a living streak. I dare you to sneak and find out where the person next to you is ticklish. Go ahead. I'll wait. Then go to the movies and drink your soda through a stick of red vine licorice. Yeah, try to remember why you stopped doing it so long ago. Ladies, be Wonder Woman. Fellas, be Superman. And for a day, pretend that God created us all as if we were invincible. How about we praise and worship as if our God is not invisible? And since you're never too old to dress up for Halloween, get a group of friends. Dress up as the A-team. Teach them how to say things like, I pity the fool and let your big white friend be Mr. T. I'm saying just, I dare you to do everything you used to do and do what you want to be. Like make paper ninja stars and go into a crowded mall wearing a leotard, a motorcycle helmet, and yell at the top of your lungs, it's morphin' time. I dare you to never work overtime. Over time, work on you. Work on doing all the things that God has purposed you to do. Like, Maybe play a game of BB Bridges at work. A random bout of open chest for the gas station clerk, but when he tries to hit you back, remind him it's all fun and games before somebody gets hurt. Search. And purchase back your sanity. Cuss your boss out on Monday and then ask for a raise on Tuesday. Respectfully. I dare you to walk into the building and yell, duck, 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 goose, and take off running in the middle of the DMV. I'm just saying, create memorable memories, like pick your nose before you shake the hand of your favorite celebrity. 
Pretend you're schizophrenic on a first date or tell your friends you think you're an alien from outer space. I'm just saying, quit running a rat race when you know in your heart you're a lion. I dare you to quit trying to fit in. I dare you to pray right before you're about to sin. I dare you to quit complaining before you even fail to begin. I dare you to work like you don't need the money and dance like nobody's watching. I dare you to laugh like every breath that God gave you is funny. I dare you to forgive. I double dare you to forgive. On second thought, I triple quadruple dog dare you to just live. Thank you so much, Genesis. Don't you guys wish you were there? Oh my gosh. That is so cool. And do you see her shoes? Ah. Don't judge me, but every now and then I wish I could wear those kinds of shoes. Not just for the height. Thank you, TJ. Again, you know, what, what has happened with the spoken word is that it has given so many of us a voice. It has helped so many people who are part of our community say, I've got something to share. There, there are things that are important to me in my life that matter. And it has started an eruption from the hearts of so many people because these things resonate. And and you say, yeah, I do remember drinking soda out of a red vine. And it sounded like a great idea, but it never works very long. And these things connect us to important things that we then are able to share. And so when I thought about this topic, what if everyone mattered, you, you would think that this would be obvious, but... Sometimes what we believe and what we do don't sink. Sometimes the idea, oh yeah, everyone matters to God. God loves everybody, but it doesn't show up in our lives. In fact, those who are supposed to represent Jesus seem to at times be those who are the most exclusive. And if you were to ask a person who is not of faith why they don't go to church, why they don't believe in Jesus, most of the time they will point to Christians and say, because of them. They don't love these people because they are all about their agenda. They're about their politics. They're about their securing their selves in their own stance and they don't seem to care about anyone else. And so what if we took back the idea that Christians only care about themselves and let the world know that we believe that everyone matters? What would happen if we would recognize this? Because sometimes those who are most committed to their beliefs are the ones who actually are most exclusive. And and so I want to look at a couple of passages, one in Genesis and then one Jesus. They're ones that you're familiar with. But, you know, as we start this, 
remember this. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what different are, how different are you than anyone? Even the pagans do that. Those who don't know God can do that. Instead, he told us that we are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God blesses everyone because everyone matters to God. And when he says, love your enemies, I I don't know where your mind goes, what an idea of an enemy is to you. But I want you to keep it from going to a foreign country and thinking of a war against a people. I want you to think of the people who have wronged you. I want you to think of the people who you have a hard time with. And that's where Jesus is starting us. And it's difficult, but there is a reason. And I want to explore that reason this morning. And so turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 3. Story that you know, Cain and Abel. And as we go through this story, I hope to bring out some things to you that maybe you didn't understand or, or you had a misconception about it, because I think it's a powerful statement of who God is. So... Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. Verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Okay, so the stage is set. They bring an offering to the Lord. Something was wrong with Cain's offering. Now, we don't know exactly what it is. Some people say, well, it wasn't, you know, an animal sacrifice. It was his own works. It might have been the wrong heart, the wrong attitude that he was doing it for himself and not for God. But for whatever reason, God didn't accept it. And he was angry. And so in our minds, we think, okay, Abel's good. Cain is bad. But that's not where the story goes. In fact, we don't ever see God talking to Abel. God's conversation is always with Cain. And and so something's going on in Cain's heart. He's got an attitude, his face is downcast, and and God speaks to him. The Lord said to Cain in verse 6, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule it. And so here God engages Cain and he says, hey, listen, you don't need to be angry. In fact, it's not that I have cast you out. If you do what is right, you will be accepted. And so God is extending the invitation to Cain. Hey, I still want you. And what a lesson it is. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? That is the voice of God to the world around us. If you do what is right, you you will be accepted. He's not exclusive. Not you, not you, not you. You will be accepted. And then he gives this warning that is just powerful. 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, I just got to stop because this is one of those passages where you have to stop and take notice because there is something powerful here. And even though it's a little bit off topic, it's worth talking about. Desire. Sin desires you. He gives sin this persona of a person. There is nothing wrong with desire. But if you will not rule your desires, your desires will bury you. If you will not rule your desire, your desire will rule you. It will take you to the cliff and it will throw you over. Okay, that was free. Okay, just to let you know. That was for you to digest. That is a truth that we need to understand. And so we see God is warning Cain. God's posture is still towards Cain. Then it goes on. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So God was ang- or Cain was a- angry with God and so he killed who God loved. I'll show you. Okay, so now it's obvious, right? Cain is bad. God doesn't like Cain. God loved Abel. Abel was a worshiper. Cain killed the worshiper. And so now God is going to be against Cain, right? But that's not what we see. And think about that because imagine Abel's children, how they feel. Imagine those who were connected to Abel, how they feel. But God speaks again. To Cain, the Lord said to Cain in verse 9, Where is your brother, Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And there is a famous line. The Lord said, What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Oh, talk about a dark and poetic passage. What have you done? Listen. You see, Cain should have heard something here. He should have heard, your brother's blood cries out. Why does his blood cry out? Because your brother mattered. And so, okay, here's God speaking. He's going to bring the hammer down, right? You're... Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear, which really to me, like, no, that sounds pretty like you're getting off light. Okay, you kill the brother and now you got to work and it's going to be difficult. Hey, It doesn't seem fair to me. But Cain is saying, it's too much for me to bear. I can't deal with this. Verse 14, today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Now, first of all, that wasn't necessarily true. But you see, what was in Cain was now being projected on everyone around me. Have you noticed people do that? People who don't forgive see everyone is not forgiving them. People who cheat think everybody is cheating. People who cause harm think everyone else is causing harm. You ever meet those people? 
they're always in fights. And you want, how can you go everywhere and get in a fight? Well, that guy was, you know, mad dogging me. He, he wasn't mad dogging me. No one ever mad dogs me. Why does everyone mad dog you? Maybe because you're a mad dog inside and it's just coming out. You see, but we take what's in us and we start projecting it on the world around us. And so Cain now thinks everyone's going to try and kill me. That's how everyone is. No, that's how you are. And so you assume everyone is going to be like you. And then God responds to him, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Whenever you've heard the mark of Cain, didn't you think it was a curse? The mark of Cain, oh, he's cursed. But that's not what it is. The mark of Cain is actually God's protection. And so Cain doesn't worship God gets invited to be back into this place of worship, rebels, kills who God loves and who does worship God, and then God says, I'm going to mark you so that no one will kill you. Why? Because, you see, to God, Cain still mattered. And let me throw out this, that the words that God had said earlier may still apply to Cain. If you will do what is right, will you not be accepted? And so God did not give up on Cain, but continued to show mercy to him. Because to God, even he mattered. What is the value of a human being worth? Whenever I, I go to funerals and I do a memorial service and I, I see the people who were family, were those who loved the person who has passed, and, and you can see that it etched on them and just weighing on them is that this person who we love mattered. And, and now... Life goes on and they're not here, but they want in that moment to let everyone know that this person was of value to us. And so the heartfelt words come out telling of all the things that they did for them, how they impacted their lives. And so I always think, what is the value of a human being? Is it just that time they have however many years on this life and then it's over, that was their value, was this time? How do you measure the value of a human being? How does God measure the value of a human being? What is our worth? Jesus in Luke 15. Turn with me there. Gives us a, an understanding of how God sees us. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That Jesus. Just hanging out with them sinners. 
Isn't it funny that Jesus was friends to sinners and, and sinners were like, he was like a magnet to them. Those who were known as sinners loved to be with Jesus, but the religious didn't want to be with him. And today, sinners don't want to be with the religious, the religious just like themselves. Does that strike anyone as being wrong? Does that seem contrary to who Jesus was? But here is Jesus with sinners. The religious people are saying, oh, this man sits, he eats with sinners. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so Jesus is saying, this is what God is like. He looks for the one, the one who was lost, that sheep who is out there and rejoices when he finds him, brings him back, has a party. That's what matters to God. And he gives him another illustration. He goes on and he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. So now he's talking money, maybe something a little closer to home for them. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Party. This is great. We're going to go get coffee. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is how God sees you. Have you ever lost money? You knew you had it. And say you have, you know, uh, $100. You have five $20 bills. If you lose one of the 20s, do you say, ah, it's just 20? If you do, I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> you know? No, you search, where's the 20 bucks? That 20 bucks is a quarter of a tank of gas. <laughs> You look for it because it's important to you, because it matters. Jesus gives one more illustration that's even closer to home. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on wild living. That sinner. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And there I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, didn't catch the the visual that was taking place here. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet You never gave me even a young goat so I could go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This story, Jesus gives just a heart-wrenching illustration about the son who leaves, squanders, and doesn't deserve anything. He used up his inheritance. And he says when he was far off, the father saw him. There was a longing that you fathers may know, you parents may know, when your child is far away. And if you see them coming back, the father does what is shameful for a statesman to do. He runs. Because pride has no equal to love. And he embraces his son and he celebrates. And his son says, Father, I'm not worthy to to come here. I just want to be a slave to you. And the father's response is, are you kidding me? That will never happen. Don't you know how much you mean to me? Do you realize that's how God feels about you? That's how God feels about your enemies? That everyone to God matters. And and as I said at the beginning, you would think this would be obvious, but it's just not so. You see, in the story, we see that God is the one who goes after the one because everyone matters. But there are people who call themselves Christians who don't believe that everyone matters. Now you're saying, no, that's not true. Everyone I know, they believe Jesus you know, loves everyone. It's just not true. I had a dialogue recently with person I know, a friend, 
And this was the topic, and I got to confess, I, I wrote something out hoping for a response, and I got it. I, I was kind of fishing, you know, because I do that. Um, and so I engaged in the conversation, and what he said to me in his response to my saying that God, you know, well, actually my, my statement that I threw out there was that even the people who are believe in predestination and that everything is determined still look before they cross the street. Okay, it was the idea of, you know, you, it was a quote by Stephen Hawking that, you know, this idea of everything's predestined really kind of goes out the window when you have to cross the street. You don't, God knows, I'm just going to go across the street. No, everyone looks. Okay, and so I threw that out there because I wanted to. And he responded and he says, I believe Jesus went to the cross with the intent to save a specific group, God's elect. In other words, Jesus gave his life for his church. He didn't die for the world. He just died for specific people. Now, there are people you probably know who believe this. There are churches that are in our area that teach this. To be in the government of South Africa, you had to be a part of the Dutch Reformed Church where apartheid came out of. There are people who are very exclusive with who God loves and who God will accept. And he goes on and he said, I just wanted you to see a small part of why we believe that Christ died with the intent on save." with the intent on saving everyone that the Father has given him, that none were lost. God does, does love everyone, but not the same. God loves everyone, but not the same. Remember Cain, remember Abel, remember the lost sheep, the coin, the brother who squandered. God loves everyone, but not the same. He loves believers with a particular love. God's love for his elect is infinite, eternal, saving love. What is the other love? And you see, there are people who are voicing our God in this way. And I want us to be a community that makes that voice drown out because of our voice that everyone matters. I want our voice and our community to be known for a people who think others matter. And it doesn't matter their political persuasion. It doesn't matter their race. It doesn't matter if they're homosexual. It doesn't matter if they're Muslim. You see, a Muslim might hate Christians for whatever reason, but a Christian never has the right to hate a Muslim. We are to love our enemies and an atheist might hate Christians and what they stand for and think they're ignorant or whatever, but a Christian never has the right to hate an atheist. You see, they matter. They are the lost coin that God is sweeping the floor to find. They are the son who maybe has gone and squandered the daughter who has left. They matter. And if we project anything less than that, then we're not representing the God who believes that you, I, and the world matters. And what would happen if people looked at us and knew that to us they 
mattered? What effect would it have on them? Another part of this conversation is understanding that you matter. Some of us have so much failure in our lives that it seems to be all that replays in our memory. The things that we've done wrong. I did this. I did this again. I did it again. I've done this. And failure seems to define who we are. And the idea of God loving us, we're we're like that son who says, God, I've squandered everything. I'm not worthy, but I just should be a slave. I really don't deserve your affection. I don't deserve your love. But you do. Because you were created in his image. Because you bear his likeness on your soul. Because within you is something that represents God more than the beautiful sunsets, more than the Grand Canyon, more than a seascape, more than anything. You have the ability to represent represent God more than anything else. And God sees that. And you need to see that. I want you to do something for me right now. If you have a piece of paper and a pen, take it out. If you have a smartphone that has notes or you want to send a text to yourself, no one else sends me texts, I'll text myself. (laughs) I want you to write something. I, I want you to write a sentence to failure. And I want you to let failure know that you know that you matter. And so just take a moment and write a sentence and you could start off, Dear Failure. I did this a few months ago and it was something that was powerful in my life. And you can start writing that. I'll share with you what I wrote a few months back. I said, Dear Failure, I am not listening to you anymore. You have paralyzed my potential and given me nothing but worry in return. I will not allow you to influence me any longer. Your voice through the years has not been able to silence my dreams. And though you have bruised my passions, you have not, nor will you ever kill them. I want you to write failure and let failure know that you know that you matter. Go ahead and take a couple of minutes and write that because then we're going to write something else. Some of you are just looking at me. That means you're not writing. I know some of you don't have pen. Maybe you have good memories and you can recite it in your head. I don't believe you. There, someone turned their phone on. Good. Dear failure, tell failure what you think of his sorry self. When you are done, look up so I know you're not just texting or on Facebook or something. Because then I'm going to have you write another sentence. I want you to write a sentence from God to you. Knowing that God thinks that you matter, I want you to write a sentence from the voice of God speaking to yourself. You know, when I did this, I was struck 
by how much it meant to me, how God actually used what I wrote to touch my heart. And what I wrote was very small. I said, Sam, I have not nor will I ever cease to inspire you to be the person I have created you to be. Let's do this. And it brought me to tears, which I thought was kind of weird. I felt a little strange about it, but I didn't share anyone what happened until right now. Now I feel vulnerable, okay? God, to you, write a sentence. Dear, put your name and write down what God would say to you. Whose voice are we going to listen to? What voice is going to shape your life? What conversation, what what dialogue are you having with who you are to God and how you see yourself? If we would see and understand how much we mean to God. That God so loved the world. The world. That he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. If we would grasp the truth of how important we are, it would change our world. If you would see how much you matter to the plan of God in the world around us, you'd probably be overwhelmed. Because God has banked everything on love and has trusted us, entrusted us to carry this message to the world around us. So let us be known as the people who believe that everyone matters. Let us take the mantle of God's love to everyone around us. And let's make a difference in the lives of those people. Why? Because we actually care. We actually believe that they matter. Ready to do that? Let's pray. Father, I am challenged by your mercy. I am struck by your love and your grace and Lord how you care so deeply and Lord it is our desire to be known as a people who believe that everyone matters that people when they hear about us will know that we care about them Lord that your voice would resonate true and clear through the lives that we live And Lord, we need your help to do this. Lord, forgiveness is difficult. Condemnation is hard to get out from under. Guilt paralyzes us. 
Lord, we are plagued by so many things and, and struggle in so many areas. But we hear your voice calling out to us the lost lamb out in the field. Lord, we see you searching for us, the coin that is in the corner, in the dark, in the dust. Lord, we have returned home and said, we're not worthy, but you said, oh, don't, don't worry about that. Are you kidding me? You've come home. You're alive. You matter to me. Lord, may this truth resonate in our hearts. And may we embrace the love that you offer to us and to the world around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before Alex and the trio here uh, closes in a last song, I'd love to have TJ come up and share one more word with us. So let's welcome her up again, please. I think they make these shoes in your size, Sam. I promise. So I'm going to share the two sentences that you had us write. I'm going to share mine before I do my poem. Dear failure, I realize you've been working really hard, but you're fired. Essentially, you failed. No apologies needed. Your check is in the mail. That's it. And then the second one is from God. Dear Trujet, you were enough when I made you. No one can argue that. Stop being afraid. You got this because I have you. Love God, a.k.a. Dear Old Dad. This um, poem I shared at Grassroots, but it sounds very appropriate for today, so I'm glad I have a moment to share it with you again. It's entitled, For Christians Who Live Like Heaven is a Rumor. For the Christians that live like heaven is a rumor, I've been told that when you collapse at the gates, chest still heaving from elation, disoriented from the elevation, you will not recognize the metal these locks are made of. This shiny material seems like it belongs more in an ocean than in the clouds. You will not have a key, so don't be alarmed. But when the gates open, like they were expecting you, assume the position and act surprised. There will be music, but no speakers. There will be light, but no electricity. There will be presence, but no people, only you, and a chest full of I told you so's, they say. You will know where you are without ever consulting GPS or Google Maps, because you've been asking for directions to a place you never thought you'd go, to meet a God you never thought you'd meet, to hear a well done you never thought you deserved Bible, You've read every word. You've been practicing your dance moves like David since birth more than Miley for MTV. Heck, you've even prepared a speech. So you think you're ready for this. I pray you're ready for this. Because the list of Bible verses you've memorized since Sunday school sound a bit redundant. All of your testimonies drenched in the scent of arrogance. All of your accomplishments meaningless. So you do what children and believers do best you imagine. So I imagine... 
The sight of angels will make us feel like sailboats in an ocean of cruise liners. Embarrassed for not being able to move as fast or look as luxurious, our pride anchoring us to the ground so our spirits are more anvil than eagle. I imagine that the day we get to heaven, there will be a projector playing a highlight reel of all the times our mouths carried our voices instead of his message, all the choices we made to bend the truth as much as his commandments, all the voices I listened to that told me if I offered 10% of my body to a man, it would earn me the keys to his heart. Every start, every time I thought that experimenting with drugs was only a sin when I got caught, every trip to Vegas that sounded like a really good idea, and forgetting that ignorance and stupidity run into hell at the same speed I imagine I would see. All of the bad decisions and late nights that made abortion the only option how I never gave as much as I would grateful for or never gave at all, how my life was more important than his death, how I only thought of myself. But the Christians that live like heaven is a rumor, that rumor saved my life. And I imagine that when he calls our name, it will be in the darkness of night, but will not be the name our parents gave us. It will sound like a wasp spinning in our ears. It will be uncomfortable and unexpected, but it will break all the mirrors in our spine that remind us that broken is our own name. So don't be afraid. Sometimes the anointed walk will make you seem more island than human being. More dragon slayer than queen. But who says that queens don't slay dragons? That men only fight against fire and flesh. We battle against demon spirits and principalities. So when your ankle feels more shackled than wing, when your chest feels more straight jacket than breastplate, less Kevlar and copper, more quilt and smokescreen, do not run in the opposite direction. You are home now. Do not apologize. You are forgiven now. So you are already more than you could ever imagine. For the Christians that live like heaven doesn't matter, you matter, and someone lied to you. Someone tried to convince you that your voice does not have the power to cast out demons, your hands, the power to heal your mind, the power to move mountains. Someone tried to convince you otherwise. So as long as I'm alive, I will try to live like every moment is real, build a kingdom in my heart and share it with strangers everywhere so they are all given directions to a place where they all should go to meet a God they've already met, hear or well done, we all know we deserve, just matter. And remember, to share the rumor that saved your life on this earth. Thank you so much, Genesis.